Well, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. I didn't work. I guess I needed the red uh, slippers this morning or something. But you guys remember that, right? Dorothy, the Wizard of Oz, there in the land of confusion, a strange place where things didn't make sense, and she dreamed of her home. She longed to go home, a place of security, a place of comfort, a place where the world made sense, not like Oz. Dorothy was right. There's no place like home. And I do miss my home sometimes, uh, but I'm getting used to calling the UP my home. I've been here now for two years. Uh, My wife and I bought a house this last February, so we're becoming more and more uh, at home here in the UP. Uh, But I thought, you know, you've been around me, you know me decently, uh, but you maybe don't know my home or my family. So I've got some pictures I want to share with you today to, to show you a little bit of what it means to be a bender. And you can think about what it means to be part of your family. But uh, this first picture shows you a little bit of what it means to be a bender. First of all, here's my whole family. i got three brothers, a sister. There's my folks there on the right. And behind us, those are the Rocky Mountains. Because my folks are from Denver, Colorado. And to be a bender it means you got some Colorado blood in you. you. You like Colorado. You like the cold and the snow and So this place works out, you know, decently in that regard. To be a bender also means you like uh, to play games. And I have a few unflattering photos coming up next, a string of them, of us playing one of my favorite games. Look at that hair, by the way. Uh, Taboo. Taboo is one of my favorite games. Uh, And my family gets really competitive. We really get into it. You can't tell here. This one looks nice. But if you go to the next photo, See, look, Joseph, he's trying to cheat. That's my brother there, the young-looking one. His eyes are going over to those cards my mom's reading. And so I'm doing my best to block, make sure he doesn't read it. You can go to the next one. Yeah, we're still having fun, mostly. Uh, So we like to play games. That's what it means to be part of the Bender family. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, being a Bender means uh, that you root for one team and one team only. And that's the Denver Broncos, my friends, all right? Denver Broncos, never forget 96, Packer fans. <laughs> my uh, dad has tried to start a tradition to get us all to come to a Broncos game every year, just the men of the family. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so that's what it means to be a bender. And it's funny, you know, because when I go home, I just slip right into these old patterns. And no one has to tell me how to be a bender, No one has to tell me how to to fight hard, to to play taboo, and to to be super competitive. I'll just do that without trying, because I've been formed by my family. I'm a bender, right? Home is a place where we know ourselves. We feel at home with ourselves, right? But I know not everyone has a home like that or grows up in a home like that. It's not true that everyone has a place where they do feel at home biologically. 
And please don't think that my family, based on those pictures, is like a perfect family that loves each other all the time. There are also bad bender traits that I picked up uh, along the way, too, like being so competitive that you make your little sister cry while playing Taboo. We didn't get a photo of that one, uh, but I think it was that day, actually. But the good word that we have today, the good news, is that all of us, no matter what biological home you came from, all of us have a spiritual home with a perfect father, a good, good father. And that father is forming us as members of his family to become more and more like him, to bear the family name, to grow into this image of who he's creating us to be. But how do we get there? How do we experience this? Maybe we understand up here, okay, I'm part of a family, I'm in God's family, but maybe it feels like there's a big gap, a big disconnect. How do I tap in and live into this reality, this good word of being adopted into God's family? Well, that's where Paul is helping us out today. So God's word came to us today from one of his servants, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks to us a little bit about this gap, that distance we feel from home. Because like Dorothy, we step out of our homes, we step out into the world, and it's chaotic, right? You remember how the movie started? Big tornado, Things get turned upside down. We feel out of place. We feel out of sorts. We're, we're mixed up inside, and we're launched out into this land of confusion, Oz, right? When we step out of our homes, we step into a world that is drawing us away from this image of God. And there's even a part of ourself that draws us away, this image of God. That was Paul talking about the flesh. So it's kind of a, a long string there. Paul's continuing an argument that he started chapters before, but he keeps talking about the flesh, right? And Paul's not talking about our skin and bones. He's talking about that gap, that, that kind of space between us and, and the family name or, or I, that family security. When he says the flesh, that's this shorthand term to talk about our sins, our sinful flesh this kind of diversion or not, not living into our identity, but living apart from how God has created us to be. And he says we're at war. This is chapter 7. We're at war. The Spirit of God is at war with the flesh. And the flesh looks like all sorts of things, okay? It can look like making your sister cry while playing taboo. Uh, the, the flesh can look like a swearing uh, when you're trying to get your power washer to start on your deck and it's not working and it's really frustrating, right? Uh, the flesh can look like uh, uh, objectifying people, right? Turning people, instead of treating them as humans, as creatures of God, taking some part of them and objectifying it to gratify yourself. Right? This is the flesh. This is what the flesh makes us do. We call that sin. But there's a problem in our understanding of sin, and I am part of the problem. Our understanding of sin so often is this idea uh, that there's all this, these sins, this huge master list of things that we kind of got to get right, that we got to figure out, that we got to overcome in our life. 
But the reality is there's a deeper problem. These sins, right, lowercase s, sins, these are symptoms of a disease, a disease that you and I share, a disease that you and I cannot overcome, not by our own spirit, not by our own force of will or effort. And Paul makes this very clear. Paul gives us the key to unlock this, and we're going to read this verse uh, in part, and then we'll read it in whole later, but it comes in Romans 8.15. Listen to what Paul says. Actually, don't listen. I want you to interact. Will you read this with me? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You did not receive a spirit of slavery. And notice he says to fall back into fear back into fear. Fear is our default setting. Fear is that wired orientation of the flesh. It is because of our fears that we're led into those sins. But this sin, this capital S sin, is bigger, and, and it comes through fear. And you guys know exactly the fear that I'm talking about. We've all experienced this. It's kind of a multi-headed beast, by the way. So maybe for you, it's the fear of rejection, right? The fear of rejection. And so you're a high schooler or a tech student, you know, and you're walking down the hallways of your school or university, and, I mean, let's be honest, right? There's a little bit of dread as you're going to class or from class because you want to fit in. You want to be accepted. You want to be a part of the community that you're in. And you're looking at your clothes and you're thinking, boy, I hope everyone likes my nice robe today. I hope I dressed up well, you know. You may be concerned with what you say. Oh, man, I hope I, I say just the right thing today in my circle of friends so I kind of look cool, I fit in. And it's okay for these little pressures to be at work. That's not a big problem. The problem comes when our fear of rejection becomes this slave driver, this master, this taskmaster, and it pushes us to do things that go against who we are. And so for that fear of rejection, now we're at the, the, the table in the cafeteria, and we're finally sitting with those kids who we thought were really cool, but they're starting to talk about our other friend. You know, the one we hang out with like on the weekends, but not really at school. We don't walk the halls with them because we're a little embarrassed to be with them. We know they're not part of the in crowd, and they start making fun of this person. And we know them well, so we, we kind of know the right thing to say, a real zinger that could get at their character, that could make the whole table laugh. And it spills out because we want to be accepted. And even if in the moment that felt okay to do, we, you know Moments later, it's this fear of rejection claws back at you. You don't feel good about what you said. You, you feel down. You feel bad because you're being driven by this, this taskmaster, this slave driver of fear. Maybe for you, it's a fear of failure. And so you're, you're at work, and you've got a big project coming up and coming close to being due, and you want to do a really good job about it. You're so concerned about performing at the job. And, and things aren't going well, right? Maybe you set expectations for yourself and you're not meeting them, or maybe the boss has and he's communicated to, to you that you're not meeting them and it's got you in a huff because you're so concerned about 
performing and being right and being a, a success. And so you get home and you're kind of filled up with this apprehension, with this anger. And you look around the house and the house is a mess. The kids haven't put their toys away again. Your wife's been home all day and it doesn't look like she's cleaned up like you thought she should. And you're kind of breathing out, you know, strong words. You get a little enraged. And does, does your language, does your tone, do your words, are they proportional to what's going on at home? No. You know that you're blowing up and making a mountain out of a molehill. Why? It's not that these little things at home are significant. It's what's going on inside of here that's significant. It's that slave driver, fear, that's got a hold on you. <laughs> and so now even our home, this place that should be comfortable and a place of safety, we blow up and, and it becomes unsafe. Paul says there's a solution to this. And it's not us mastering all of our little sins. It's something more powerful than that. Paul gives us a promise. We're going to read 8.15 again, this time the whole verse. Uh, please, uh, read it with me. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When we step out of that spiritual home, our identity with God, yeah, we get scared, we get afraid. We start doing things that manifest because of that. Paul brings us back to our identity. Paul says we've received the spirit of of adoption. Now that happened for you at your baptism, right? Everything that happened to Jesus in his baptism is echoed for us in our baptism. So we heard in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus went to the water and John baptized him, right? The, the heavens opened up and descended on Jesus was the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. That same thing happened to you in your baptism. The Spirit that Paul is talking about, you received at your baptism, and that Spirit is with you. And that Spirit of God today is trying to tell you, it's whispering to you to believe, to believe that you are God's child, to believe that you are part of God's family which can be hard to believe because sometimes we look at ourselves and we feel like we're not fit for God's family. But, but let me tell you something about adoption. Adoption is a change in status, not nature, right? If you adopt a child, that child doesn't just change all of a sudden to match your, their new family and match all of your rhythms and how you do life, right? Una? <laughs> when you're adopted into a family, you keep your personality. You're still who you are. It's not a change in nature, but it's a change in status. You're now part of this family. You have access to the resources of this family. And it also means that whomever adopted, adopted you, they're saying to you, I'm going to treat you as if you sprang from my own body. 
I'm going to treat you like I treat my other sons, my other daughters. You're part of my family. There's an amazing place in John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying. And he's praying for his disciples then, but also for you and me today. And Jesus, while he's praying to his father, he says something like this. He says, Father, I pray that that those who come after me, those who follow me, you and I, that they would know the love that you have for me. Can you imagine the love that the Father has for Jesus? His only begotten Son? Can you imagine how the Father felt when Jesus rose from the dead, came out of the grave after dying? Can you imagine the elation that the Father had when Jesus ascended into heaven, when he came back home? That's how God treats you. That's how he sees you. And his spirit is speaking that to you even today. And if you hear, if you hear the spirit drill this into you, if you take that idea of being part of God's family, his child, and you let that go deep inside of you, into your soul, you're, you're a changed person. You're fundamentally different because you no longer have to be defensive. Right? You've got nothing to prove. Do you realize you're a, a son or a daughter of the king? You don't have to prove anything to anyone. And, and so when people criticize you, you take it warmly. When people attack you, you, you take it positively. When, when people say things about you, 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 don't, you don't sweat it because their voice doesn't matter. I know whose I am. You're not afraid to let people see you. You're not afraid to let people in because you've got nothing to prove. If you do have something to prove, if you're a defensive person, if you're a controlling person, if you're an envious person, then you haven't heard that spirit in what he's telling you yet. You're acting like a slave, not a son. You're acting like a slave, not a child. But God says that you're his child. He says you're part of his family. But again, it's a change in status, not a change in nature. That's going to take time. It takes time for God to form us into his people, but never discount yourself because of how you act. If you do something that just seems horribly off base with what God wants for you, that doesn't mean you're out of the family. God is saying you're in my family, regardless of that. And maybe that sounds too good to be true, right? Maybe that sounds like wishing to go home. But I'll remind you that when Jesus raised from the dead, when he first came back and, and the disciples saw him, it says they disbelieved for joy. It was too good to be true. It was true. It was true. I've got a quote for you I want to share. It's from C.S. Lewis. It's kind of a long one, so bear with me. But C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. 
A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy, echo, or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country. He goes on, but I'm not going to finish the quote. You see what Lewis is saying? That longing we have for a home is real. This idea that we belong to Jesus and his family, that he's our true elder brother, that we're forgiven in God's family, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. But the reality is not that we have to wait for this home. It has come to us, to you, through Jesus and by the Spirit he gives. Let's read Romans 8 one more time. We'll put it back on the screen for you. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. My friends, we got to cry. We're in God's family. We're a part of his family. But that idea is never going to sink down from our heads to our hearts unless we use the Spirit, the Spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul here keeps the original Aramaic, that word Abba. That idea would have split the ears of Jesus' audience because the idea of God, mind you, at this time, what does the Bible say? God is a consuming fire. God is the judge who came on Mount Sinai in smoke and with the law. And ask any of Jesus' Jewish contemporaries, and they would tell you, they knew a lot about that spirit of fear. And what does Jesus call God? Abba. It's the equivalent of the word daddy. Daddy? You and I get to relate to God the Father like that. You can take anything to him. You can't go to the President of the United States or to the Queen of England, rest in peace, or the King of England, and ask them to tie your shoe, right? That would be impudence. That would be inappropriate. That would be shameful. But you can go to your father, and you can ask him to tie your shoe. Jesus says we have that kind of access to God the Father. And we have that kind of access because Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, when he was in that garden, he prayed. He prayed again to Daddy, to Abba. He said, Dad, I don't, I don't want to do this thing that we had planned on doing. 
I don't want to have to go down there because I know what waits for me outside the walls of Jerusalem. I know what's on that hill. And I'm scared, Dad. But Jesus had this spirit of God. And so he was not kept still by fear, but he went by the spirit of God in power down the Mount of Olives, up to the Mount Golgotha, to get onto that cross. Jesus faced something more fearful than you and I will ever have to face. He, had to, he left home. Because there, Jesus was leaving the love of his Father. He had that, but on the cross, he was forsaken. Father, my God, you've forsaken me. And he lost the love of his dad you and I could know it. My friends, call on that Father. Call on that Abba by that Spirit. And you will slowly, over time, be changed into and matured into a child of God, like your elder brother, like Jesus. Whatever fears are controlling you, Go to your dad. Call on him. There's no place like home. In Jesus' name, amen.